0: Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of them the oldest
1: and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dark Ritual, Force of Will, Lightning Bolt, and many others.
0: Battling head-to-head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common,
1: to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory.
0: The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live and TheEpicStorm.com.
1: to the first episode of the eternal glory podcast my name is Anurag das and today i'm joined by my co-host brian cook and wilson hunter brian how are you doing today i'm great how are you
2: i'm uh, doing pretty good and wilson hello friends i am so so happy to be here excellent excellent so uh
1: i guess before we dive in we'll just talk about ourselves a little bit um so my name is Anurag Das. you may have seen me on uh you know streaming on twitch with legacy miracles Uh, twitch.tv slash onzi104 shameless plug um i've been playing magic since about the end of 2013 got into legacy in about 2014 and about a year later you know i was just committed to playing what i find find to be the most fun deck in all of magic um what deck would that be that deck would be legacy miracles uh which you know it's it's been a roller coaster of a ride uh, ups and downs the banning of sensei's divining top and then you know just the number of events that it's, that have uh, gone by and so on and so forth and then you may all know brian cook writer of
0: whoa writer
1: oh oops <laughs>
0: owner uh i run the epicstorm.com but there's so much more to me than that uh, let's not pigeonhole ourselves here we are all we all have tons of experience about legacy and We have so much to say that just isn't about our specific decks. While I do manage the Epic Storm, I've been playing Magic since 2002. So back during 1.5, I have tons of knowledge on the format, and I just can't wait to dive right in. So I'm going to switch it over to my co-host, Wilson.
2: Yeah, thank you, Bryant. So some of you may recognize me from the Brainstorm Show podcast, which, uh, unfortunately, we are not doing anymore because of my beloved brother's Philip Braverman and Paul Michael are busy with life. So I decided that I'm still hooked on Legacy, still love talking about content, wanted to do another podcast, and found two very talented uh, new brothers to do a podcast with, and I just appreciate you all deciding to do this with me.
1: That is a a really good way to describe it. Legacy for me is kind of like cardboard crack. I spend a lot of random time just thinking about card choices, progressions in the format, what tomorrow is going to look like, what I would register at the next GP. Um, and in fact, it, it seems like this past weekend, we just came out of an event, SCG Syracuse, and it was pretty exciting. I think it's the it was the, uh, the first legacy event in the Star City Games circuit. Um, Brian, talk to me about the results. What did we see? Uh, what did the top eight look like? And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll start there.
0: Okay, so first place was Rich Kelly with Is It Delver. And I'm gonna take a hot take here. Uh I think that Rich is an amazing player. He's known for casting brainstorms and ponders, but he was playing Is It Delver, and I'm not a huge fan of it. So part of that is I think that Is It Delver loses some of its credibility when it's a blue-red Delver deck that isn't fast. So when you look at Rich's deck, it has four Delver Secrets, four uh, Terramander, two, uh, True Name Nemesis, and four Young Pyromancer. To me, that this deck is essentially just Grixis Delver, but slower with Light Up the Stage, or a slower, slower Blue Red Delver with Light Up the Stage, and I don't know how much you actually gain by not playing Black. So, I think I'm a little lukewarm on this deck, personally, and I'm willing to be wrong. I just don't think that this is necessarily the future of Delver. I think that, it was just a very skilled pilot navigating their way through the field.
2: Yeah, the uh, pateramanders are, are fairly interesting. So something I enjoy about Legacy is when new cards come in and make a major impact. And it uh, looks like there are several copies of those uh, taking down a large event. So I think that's pretty sweet. I do know that Anarog's buddy Bob Huang uh, has been pretty high on this deck. Is that correct, Anarog?
1: Uh, close. Actually, Bob has been been uh, pursuing another f- uh, five five of the zombie variety. He's been oh, okay. playing a lot of Grixis. Yeah, he's been playing a lot of Grixis Delver with uh, Thought Scours to pump out uh, the the zombie fish. Uh, just you know, tap sideways, deal chunks of damage. But I-, I really do like this list. I know, I know, Rich is Rich is a fantastic guy. First of all, just just. I'm gonna rewind here. I remember back when Rich used to play Miracles, you know, he was always a high performer. Um, just like in the weeks coming to this event, Rich and I even like battled a couple times online and the, just like the way he played this deck, his perspective to it was, was super fascinating. Um, I had a c- couple moments to talk with him about this list as well. And he was, he was actually, so, so Brian, I see that you're not exactly excited about, uh, you know, what this deck looks like right now. But when I was talking to Rich, he was really, really stoked about, you know, actually how powerful Terramander was. You know, describing multiple situations um, in a variety of matchups where he'd, you know, he'd be, you know, chipping away with, the, you know, this Salamander Drake. And then, you know, suddenly they'd just become five fives, and the game would just end on the spot. Um, I mean, I, I, it's pretty cool, like Wilson was saying, to see new cards come out of Ravnica Allegiance. I think what what it's, it's so it's Terramander, and then it's what light up the stage. Those, those are the two cards.
0: And skewer of the critics, but yes.
1: Okay, skewer of the critics. That's probably like a more burn oriented card, but but yeah, know I think it's it's definitely uh, cool to see all of these in action. Um, let's see. We could actually even look at the rest of the top eight, sort of just to get an idea of what yeah. he was playing against and how so, his matchups uh, may have paired up.
0: Our good friend David Long took second with Golgari Depths or medium depths whatever you like to call it this isn't a surprise to me Dave's just one of the most consistent performers on the scg tour he's an amazing guy and an even better player i think he might actually have the most legacy top eights now he's just an incredibly skilled player especially with dark depths i don't think there's a whole lot to say about this list so i'd actually like to move on to the next deck if possible Sure, Black yeah. Red Reanimator. I haven't seen this deck in forever do well at an actual event. We all know that Eric Landon crushes leagues online with this deck, but I think the last time I saw Reanimator do well was GP Louisville.
1: Didn't it get like second place in that event, no, or something like that? It did a loss to the Duke. The Duke on the the bug. Yeah, that's that was a, a roller coaster a lifetime ago. But then it looks like in fourth place we have. Um, what seems to be an innovative take on Delver as well. Instead of instead of you know pursuing the red splash, Harlan Fur has taken uh, the, the blue white approach, and you know this is actually a really interesting take on Delver where he's pairing Delver's Secrets with um, more mid rangey cards like Stoneforge Mystic and Snapcaster Mage, and even uh, sporting a couple copies of Jace the Mind Sculptor. Um, <clears throat> all in all. This, this kind of seems uh, similar to, like, the Owen Turtenwald list that, you know, went 12-3 at uh, GP Richmond last year. Um, Harlan mentioned that this is actually just, like, the closest to a control deck that, you know, uh, Delver might be able to come to in the sense that uh, you just have so many, you know, spells and, like, just the play patterns and things like that. Uh, you are you know, swords to plowshares, great control card, so on and so forth. Um, sit back, answer everything, and then eventually one day kill your opponent <clears throat> to the point where actually harlan even mentioned that he boards out delver of secrets in some matchups which pff, that just like blows my mind a little bit thinking about that
0: so i'm typically not a big fan of decks with identity crisis uh so when you look at this deck you do have the four delver the four Stone Forge, but like you also have jace the mind sculptor and to me i think if i was pigeonholed into playing a blue white delver list I wouldn't want to play the list with four main deck Foster storms because I don't think that's the optimal build, but I wouldn't want to be playing anything like Jace the Mind Sculptor. Like I would just feel like an idiot every single time I looked with Delver and saw Jace there.
2: Yeah, Daze is a, a pretty interesting one with a four drop. But uh, the cool thing about this deck is I think the store one of the stories of this tournament was Stoneforge Mystic. So Azorius Delver was actually heavily represented in day two, so it looks like the fourth most played deck. Uh, with five copies out of sixty-nine,
0: yeah. If you look at Stoneblade paired with Azorius Delver, because they're very similar, it's eleven percent of the meta game according to Cardboard Live.
2: Yeah, no, e- exactly. So, um, you know, I have classically not been a huge fan of this type of deck for the exact same reason that Bryant just mentioned. But I will say, based on the way the meta is shaking out, like I'm not seeing a ton of Grix's control, and I think that Kolagons Command was something that was keeping stoneforge down for a long time it makes sense that stoneforge is back so stoneforge is sort of a premier mid-range card and it makes sense to see a deck that can go either aggressive or play a more controlling game uh clog up some of their slots with just the uh mid-range aficionado stoneforge mystic
1: right and speaking of grix's control in sixth place we had alexander beeb uh you know piloting the deck itself and I'm looking at the list right now and it seems like a pretty stock grixis control list i mean with a couple adjustments made here and there since uh you know the last big big legacy event in gp richmond so we see him having uh, a couple more copies of the basic lands two islands two swamps um trying to see if there's anything super exciting in the sideboard two copies of blood moon that's super interesting so, to me, the big story here with Grixis Control is that it's pretty much
0: fallen off the map online. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to SEG Baltimore, Grixis Control went fairly deep in that tournament, I believe, with Jonathan Rossum. So we, it has done well in the SEG Tour, but it hasn't really been the trendiest deck. So I, if I had to bet money going into this event on Grixis Control top eighting or not, I would have said no.
2: Yeah, you know, my experience in the last few months has been that when miracles adopted AK accumulated knowledge that really uh, took a, took a big chunk out of the reason to play Grixis control. So for a while I liked Grixis controls matchup against miracles. And I think that adding in that really efficient card advantage engine really flips the matchup. And that's why we're seeing a lot more miracles and a lot less Grixis control.
1: Yeah. I mean, all in all, I would even say that because of accumulated knowledge, you had more, you know, Miracles pilots in the format, and then combine that with the already large number of Wix's control pilots in the format meant that it was really easy to attack, you know, the metagame from a certain perspective. And so we really saw, if like, if you even if you look at, like, Magic Online, right? So for a while, Miracles was dominant, and then suddenly for, like, the next month, it was just, like, straight dredge, actual dredge, just tearing up uh, the online events. And then you could see, like, after that, it was, like, you know, all the Leyline of the Void decks came into play, like, you know, Aldrazi Post and, like, Four-Color Loam, things like that. And then I think I now, you know, as, you know, we take steps progressing and evolving, um, this is now, you know, Stoneforge, Stoneforge Mystics time, and that's, that's kind of cool. Um, but also, I guess we take that with a grain of salt, because, you know, GP uh, Niagara Falls is coming up soon, and I wonder if, you know, by the time that event comes that, you know, the next iteration of the Legacy format will maybe, you know, show itself, rear its head.
2: I would like to see a Stoneforge Monastery Mentor deck come into play. I I even think maybe curving into a Gideon would be something that could be interesting in that deck. But, uh, yeah, just spitballing.
1: Yep, sounds interesting, definitely. I mean, there's so much room to brew now because of uh, the recent bans, actually. Um, So, moving on to seventh place we have dragon stompy uh
0: i'm not too shocked about this we know that the dean philip gallagher recently won a challenge with it it's been all over online if you play the challenges i'd be willing to bet that the challenges recently have been about like 15 dragon stompy it's just been you can't get through a challenge without facing it mm. and i know that Honorog also plays a lot of challenges so he could probably uh back up my statement here
1: yeah, this is probably, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about this deck. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I am not a Chalice of the Void boy, I am not a Trinisphere boy, <laughs> nor am I a Blood Moon boy. Um, I, you know, like, Chalice of the Void has always just been... I mean, I think since the Deathrite Shaman ban, I think the card has gotten exponentially better um, in the format. It's just, you know, very good at picking off blue decks that rely on, like, the, the cantrip cartel to sort of smooth out their draws and, you know, um, leverage you know, whatever, mana efficiency and so on and so forth to beat other decks. Um, but one thing that I think that was super interesting about the way this deck has evolved is the addition of the card Legion Warboss. That card is insane, and I'll tell you why. Uh, historically speaking, Chalice of the Void decks, um, you know, they don't play Brainstorm, and so they suffer from inconsistency issues sometimes. You know, you'll have, like, a really explosive start where you go, like, you know, Ancient Tomb, Simeon Spirit Guide, boom, Trinisphere, and then you know, for the next few turns, because because you, you know, use so many resources, you're just, like, trying to draw into the next big play, hoping that your first turn play is going to buy you enough time. Um, with the addition of Legion Warboss, a three-mana, you know, spell that puts a lot of damage onto the table really fast, I feel like the consistency issues of this deck have been somewhat mitigated, um, and also given, you know, just, like, <clears throat> where we are in the format right now, I think that that made Mono Red Prison especially powerful, and... Uh, pretty good choice for this event. <clears throat> so
0: there's a couple interesting things about mono Red Prison to me. So, uh, Jordan Goodwin's list is only playing three Magus to the moon, and in the fourth slot he's opting to run a Hazoret the Fervent. To me, I think I'd probably prefer another Magus. But overall, when we're talking about the mono Red Prison archetype, I know that at the Leaving a Legacy 2K, uh, that happened a few months back, Zach uh, Turgen was playing Karn Scion of Urza in the 4-drop slot, paired with Great Furnaces as lands. Not only was it a card advantage engine to make your deck better, it was also just a very quick lethal threat with all the artifacts in your deck. Minus two twice in a row, and your opponent was just, they couldn't do anything against these 7-7 artifacts on turn 4.
2: Yeah, so in addition to the things you guys said, I think that the threats that have been printed for red stompy in the last few years are just night and day from where dragon stompy used to be like circa 2008 or whatever i mean i remember the days of rakdos pit dragon and gathan raiders
0: is that the morph where you discard a card
2: yeah gathan raiders is the morph rakdos pit dragon wants you to be hellbent so I, I remember playing the deck and mulliganing and you know almost saying to myself hey maybe my uh, my pit dragons will be active faster but uh <laughs> the whole point is, you know, they've they've printed, like you said, Anu, uh the Legion War bosses, having eight of these Rabble Master type of creatures is awesome. And then Chandra was just the absolute biggest thing for this deck to really push it into the forefront, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a a brutal planeswalker when you can cheat it into play. But I think there's something uh that we need to talk about is the mana. So my, my sort of thesis since the printing of, of or sorry the banning of death right shaman is that any deck that can cheat on mana and get undercosted things into play quickly had a massive boost because the fair decks no longer have a bird of paradise that is, has all this utility and is winning the game late game um, they're now really slow so any all these ancient tomb decks got a a, a big uh, boost and uh, I think that that's why you see decks like this doing pretty well.
1: Yep, that's a really good point. I mean, at the end of the day, my thought process is in Legacy, you get access to some of the most broken cards in all of Magic. Um, And when you look at it from like a mana perspective, I think every successful deck in some way or the other abuses mana. So for example, you know, my deck, Miracles, I have a one-mana Wrath that, you know, removes every creature from the board. Brian's deck, you know, you've got Dark Ritual and Ride of Flame to exponentially accelerate yourself out of the gates. like you mentioned, Mono Red Prison has the Ancient Tomb Package. Delver has, like, days. What's my um, deck? What's your deck? I, that's a good question. I, I'd peg you on Miracles. You, you fall under my umbrella. Um, You're- I played an event <laughs> with
0: Wilson where he was on four-color control.
2: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I want to, regardless of any of what was just said, I want to focus <laughs> in on the fact that Miracles is Anarag's Umbrella.
1: What, yeah, I, no, no, I mean, I'm just grouping us together. You know, we are amigos. (laughs) We are uh, muchachos, is that the right word? All right, so, uh,
0: 8th place was this uh, control deck. Uh, It's blue and white, it has some cards in it, whatever. I think Anurag plays the deck. So to me, I was talking with some other blue players before the event started, and I was talking about how the metagame right now is super weak to Celestial Purge. And my buddy Sam Rukas opted not to play any. He came at 11th, but that's not really what I want to talk about. It's how Who Celestial Purge is amazing in the um, metagame because Dragon stompy everywhere. And on top of that, it removes a Merit Lage from the game. It's good against Grixis Control, removing Liliana of the Veil or Liliana of the Last Hope. Um, and then it hits Death Shadow. There's so many decks that this card is good against that I think playing less than two in Miracles right now is probably wrong. I'm sure Anurag will disagree with me, but I think it's really good right now.
2: Well, yeah, and maybe if people are still playing some Bitter Blossoms, I know that's a card that often gives issues to Miracles, so that's another one.
1: Yeah, that um, I means Grixis to Over. Yep, Grixis, exactly. The card is like it's it's pretty well-rounded, um, and I think uh, moving forward, you'll see a lot more of this card. Uh, speaking of Grixis decks, though, so we just ran out on the top eight, but there is one player in the SAG Syracuse metagame that uh, I, I think it was like um, probably this was the breakout weekend of the deck, even though it's not necessarily like a hidden presence or anything. Um, and that is, uh, I guess, the ever so pre- uh, present card, Arclight Phoenix, Made a good showing this weekend. A lot of SEG grinders and you know frequent frequent uh, uh, combatants were, were piloting this card. And we see Oliver Tomiko with uh, Grixis Phoenix in 17th place. Um, yeah, talk to me about this list. Uh, yeah, Ryan McKinney came
0: in 10th with it. it. It seemed like it was everywhere this weekend.
2: Yeah, I heard that there was a, uh, a subtle narrative of it underperforming a bit. I mm. talked to the Team Lotus Box people who sort of went all in on it and were disappointed. Uh, Zan actually played Sneak and Show, but his teammates, uh, most of them opted for the Phoenix deck. And um, yeah, I think that they in general were a little bit disappointed, but I'm not sure what that says about the deck. I do know it's very complicated to play. I played it on stream with Jarvis one day, and I felt like it was just not intuitive based on my other legacy skills. I felt like I needed to test it and play it a lot in order to be good at the deck. My vibe was that I was wanting to combo too quickly with Buried Alive, and it was a deck where you really want to pick your spots and be a little more conservative like Ant and really be able to understand where your window is. So uh, Callum, uh, Whiteface's magical online player, uh, I guess was one of the people who originally built the deck and I think plays it pretty well. So that's somebody to look to online uh, in terms of you know good content to, to potentially watch or pick his brain. But, but yeah, so that, I thought that was sort of interesting. It's one of those things where we do see it a lot in the top lists, but I think it was just absolutely everywhere in the tournament. And when that happens, even if it performs at a mediocre level, you'll still see some rise to the top. And I I think that might be the case here.
0: So I think that people came prepared this weekend is the biggest thing. When talking with people, they knew that Phoenix was going to be everywhere. I personally played two Tormod scripts this weekend. I very rarely play
1: Graveyard
2: Hate. Yeah, that does mean something coming from you. Wowzers.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the best way to summarize it is I was uh <clears throat> in the X three, X two bracket, maybe, but you know, playing X three or whatever, sitting next to Jake Mandela and he was like, I was testing this deck online and it seemed really good, but today it's just been so eh. So I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. I, I think um I mean the deck is still definitely in its infancy. Like even the uh even the uh addition, the recent addition of Dark Confidant. Um, you know, is just just seeing fruition, right? And like, I mean, what the deck's been only around for like a month or something like that. So, um, there's still a lot of room for it to grow. Um, I guess we can also talk about that. Dark Confidant was probably one of the all-star cards of the weekend in terms of, you know, what a lot of players were getting hyped about. I know uh, Lawrence Harmon uh, and not Bob Wong um, was suggesting that Grixis Pilots definitely take a look at adding uh, the two one. The two one I, I, what, what creature is Dark Confidant. Human wizard. Okay, yeah, that makes sense actually. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh, to add a bunch of Dark Confidants to the deck list because uh, it's just like I don't know, it's just like it is a really good card um, and hasn't you know seen the spotlight in a while. Um, pair it up with a couple stifles or you know spell pierces or what have you, and uh, you know, boom, recipe for success. So. I'm going to take a different stance on this one, Anurag. Hit me. I
0: think that Dark Confidant in tempo decks is not where you want to be. So part of the issue is that Confidant doesn't have a very aggressive body, and it can't block either. So it's not really good outside of combo and control matchups. And on top of that, your Dark Confidant deck, so if you're trying to play it in Grixis Delver, means that you can't play Gurmag Angular. So from here, you could argue, hey, what about Terramander? Uh, That's fine. But if you're in black, Gurmag Angler is easy to drop down. You can hold open your Stifle or Spell Pierce or Foster storm mana a lot easier. You're not forced to end step, tap out, and do something like pump your Terramander to be bigger. So you have that going. So like you could argue Terramander, but then what are you really playing black for other than Confidant and Discard? Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of that, you're playing force of will so something that i witnessed over the week and was watching sam Rukus' match versus Tariq patel and sam was in a pretty unfavorable position Tariq had a bitter blossom a Confidant, a young pyromancer some tokens and then all of a sudden Tariq flips force of will bitter blossom at one life sam squeaks out the game because he can at least take one turn without dying and then the bitter blossom kills Tariq. so I think that you have to ask yourself, is it really worth it? Is it better than Gurmag Angler and Young Pyromancer or True Name Nemesis, or is it just the flavor of the week? <clears throat> Greatness Do people
2: still play Stifle by But by, uh, by the way? Uh,
0: there's some online enthusiasts that do. I think uh, Lewis CBR plays it.
2: No, wait, no, Ooh, no, no. Sure. Uh, I, I'll
1: shout out to Dylan Hovey, who like 6-1 or 7 owed the Swiss of, uh, you know, the MTG Legacy Challenge the week before the event. He had like a bunch of confidants and a bunch of stifles. Um, sure. But, but no, no, it's definitely like a recent pickup, if at all. And I imagine maybe after this event that it'll probably just like die, die, uh, die back down, simmer down. I mean, because let, let's be real. Brainstorm at an all-time low. Um, you have decks like Eldrazi and like Maverick and so on and so forth, where Stifle isn't really an all-star. Um, you think so Rangstrom's
2: at an all-time low?
1: Eh, close to something like
0: 57%, according to yeah. uh, down from like 70% during Delver. And that, or not during Delver, during the Deathrite era. Oh, and sure. And Miracles I mean, in the previous era.
2: Okay. If we're going by the larger eras, yeah, I can yeah. definitely see that. Post-ban. Yeah. Sure.
1: Which, which, to be honest, and this is gonna sound—I know this is gonna sound crazy—but I kind of, I kind of quite like that. Brainstorm is not as dominant as it used to be, because you know, like uh, I had my time to shine playing Miracles, and you know, Deathrite had its time, and maybe now we uh, pass it along, pass the torch along. I think that
0: this is the best legacy metagame since like 2012. Explain yourself uh so i hear a lot of people complaining and it drives me nuts they're like well if you look at the metagame data grixis control is still in third place miracles is in second and grixis delvers in first it's the same is that really how
1: people talk to you when you read reddit threads that's what they (laughs) sound like
0: i just read them in this idiot voice uh i think you're all beautiful i don't mean that so people complain about these things and these decks are all still doing well they all had death rate banned or not miracles but they all had something banned out of them but they're still performing quite well and then they get upset when they still lose to these decks it's because the deck itself is very good they just were weakened so what happens is you'll see decks that were not doing well before and let's say we're talking about nick fit for example i don't know it's a random deck so let's say your win percentage with nick fit was 42 percent. good old jackie robinson and then death rate shaman gets banned and now all of a sudden your win percentage might go up to 48 nick fit was never going to be a tier one deck but you could still squeak out some games so it was competitive you had fun uh, so now your deck has a better chance of winning and that's what these bannings were all about it's not about crippling a deck it's not like in modern where they just ban kci because they don't like the deck and how it works they thought that these Delver decks were fine. They just wanted to weaken them, so they cut. They banned Gitaxian Probe and they banned Rate Shaman. And when they banned Probe, they also weakened Storm decks because their win percentage wasn't as high. So we saw Storms win win percentage go from like sixty six, sixty five percent down to sixty, and that's what goal, these bans ultimately do. And now I'm just rambling, so I'm gonna stop. You
2: no, know that I, that makes a lot of sense, brent I I agree with what you were saying. I like. It, I quite sure I like your rambling too. Yeah, I mean, he, you have a beautiful voice. I'm not sure if I agree that Nick Fit is a 48% uh, deck, <laughs> but uh, we won't go deep into that.
0: So if I could take another rant for a moment, there's something that really bothered me that I heard about over the weekend. So I mm. had two different friends that awesome. were playing in events throughout the weekend, and they came up to me to tell me about a bad beat story where I couldn't believe it was two different people, same exact story. Their opponent had a card on the ground, one of them noticed it and then the other person their opponent noticed it so one time this guy dropped something underneath the table it was like a dice or a pen looks and their opponent's card is underneath their foot um so they call a judge judge comes over and says hey uh we're gonna shuffle this into their deck they get a warning and you move on so i've been playing magic a very long time like i said 2002 as long as i can remember failure to uh submit a legal deck is a game loss so this person did not receive a game loss they appealed to the head judge not a game loss the other time the person called it on themselves still the same thing to me this is an issue because i know over the last few years uh the judges in magic have tried to eliminate bad beats you know you make you make a mistake they don't want, you know, drawing extra cards used to be like instant game loss, and now there's this new Thoughtseize rule or something like that, and I think that's a fine rule, but at some point you have to ask yourself, is the integrity of the game at stake, because I think that this fix it incentivizes cheaters and so if i was a cheater i would drop a card on the floor before my match and then throughout during the match i would drop a card on my hand pick up two cards and now it's like i drew a card during this match especially at a key critical moment i don't think that we should be incentivizing cheating at all i think that we should be punishing it and not giving people a reason to do it and i think that this is a bad
2: rules change Brian, I appreciate your thoughts on that. And just so our audience knows, Brian is very passionate about this and has been talking about this for a few days. And I'm sure you have been looking forward to getting that off your chest. Um, But I I will say too that, you know, I've become a little more cynical about how this card game that we know and love is judged at the competitive and professional level. And I have sort of gone in different uh, trains of different thought processes with that at at some point I was a little bit irritated at what I thought should be a higher level of judging but then I realized you know we're in a game where many times judges are people who are volunteers they love the game as well they're not they're not the types of personalities who are necessarily bold and brazen and are always willing to come in there and shake things up because To be honest, like we all are playing a uh, pretty nerdy card game, and we generally, many of us, are fairly introverted. So what I think happens in a lot of these scenarios is there gets to be some awkward interpersonal conflicts, and it's human nature to not want to lay down the hammer of the heaviest penalty on people that seem like nice people, and that causes sometimes uh, for cheaters to get away with things.
0: I can't think of a single cheater that's ever been charismatic or nice to their opponent. <laughs> right. And, I, uh, I get uh, that joke.
2: <clears throat> and so, you know, Marcio Carvalho, who I believe top aided the Mythic Invitational and is a very prominent professional player, literally did the exact same cheat you are saying. And, you know, I want to clarify we don't know exactly if this was a cheat that Bryant's talking about, but it's ripe for cheating. Um, But we do know that Marcio Carvalho cheated with a Hornet Queen in that exact same way and was actually suspended by the DCI uh, after an investigation happened. So, yeah, I'm totally with you, Bryant. Um, I'm not sure, other than ranting about it, what we can do about it today, other than tell our listeners to be aware of this sort of thing. And I think for players like us, particularly you two who've been playing a lot online, it's something, it's, it's sort of like a different part of the game to have to think about when it's, it's, it's outside of, of the math and the thinking of, you know, what's in your opponent's hand and all these things. It's sort of this extra variable that we're not trained to consider until we sit down at a table with an actual human being and, and play this physical card game. So um, it's a great point. I'm not sure how I would conclude it other than just helping people be aware that these things happen. And um, you know, hopefully, as a as a legacy community, we can hopefully get judges to be a little more strict on this on this sort of thing.
1: Good point. Good point. So I'm gonna transition to something a little bit less heavy. Uh, there was a definitely a very interesting deck um, that we also saw in the in the event, and um, Brian's just been nonstop talking about this. He's been like, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. So we're gonna get to it. Doug McKay played a very special. Uh, Quoting Star City Games, Grixis Phoenix list, list? but uh, Brian, it wasn't exactly Grixis Phoenix. What was it?
0: It was Ad Nauseam Tendrils with a Grixis Phoenix package. So I've known Doug McKay since I was probably 13 years old. He's the second most person I've played according to the DCI. Uh, He recently moved to New Jersey, so it was pretty good to see him again. Uh, But this deck is essentially just Ad Nauseam Tendrils with some Buried Alives, uh, and then Arc Light Phoenixes. Everything else looks about the same. You do get to play Cabal Therapy that I can't seem to find in his list, which is shocking me a little bit. He's still running Duress and Thoughtseize. I, I would have bet that there was Cabal Therapies in there, but I guess I'm wrong. Uh, but I think a slot in this deck that isn't being utilized that could be, and I'm not saying that Doug's list is bad. It's just a place for potential growth is I think Entomb could possibly be playable here because you do uh, have the option of getting an arc Light. You could get Past and Flames, and I know Doug's List isn't playing it, but Faithless Looting is an option. Uh, it's just a thought. It could be bad. I have plenty of bad thoughts, uh, well, mainly about Wilson. But <laughs> when it's about me, <laughs> Good heavens.
2: Uh, well, hey, I will say, Bryant, those are some good points because anytime you get an exciting new hybrid archetype like this, there's a lot of different things to try. So you're you you know you go a little crazy there with the entomb go a little crazy but uh, I will say therapy at minimum seems like a shoe in here uh, the synergies of being able to therapy on your phoenix turn I think is is obviously significant but it's pretty cool I think I saw Cyrus Cyrus CG streaming this deck last night uh, and shout out to him by the way I know he has a pretty cool legacy podcast I forgot what it's called but it's pretty cool top down um, legacy. Okay, I, I was sort of like <laughs> da- trying to dagger him by saying I forgot what it was called, but
0: we don't talk about other podcasts on this podcast, on our own. <laughs> I didn't get that
2: memo this is in my Frank email. Was... <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that seems pretty cool, and in general, it's just really neat. This is another one of these newer cards that opens up some design space, a comboy Vingevine esque kind of creature, which is uh, I think pretty neat for the format. I agree. Do you? I because do. because I don't think that you can cast this card off of a Tundra.
1: You, you cannot, but I actually had a dream last night that I, I did get three Arclight Phoenixes into the graveyard, and I went like Ponder, Priority, and Brainstorm into Swing for Nine. Don't ask me how it happened, I can't recall, but but definitely the thought crossed my mind. you Faithless Looting, there you
0: go! A pretty cool story on the weekend, at least to me, was the second place list in the Legacy Classic, where I was because, you know, I'm not good enough to day two events anymore. But uh, Ed Domingo, he was a diehard Grixis Delver Deathrite Shaman player. It's all he did. Uh, we've been into the arguments where he would go turn one fetch underground seed Deathrite Shaman probe you. And I'd say, Ed, why don't you do it the other way? What if I have a turn one kill? He goes, no matter what you're doing, I am playing Deathrite Shaman turn one. And I I can't wrap my head around it. There's no understanding, Ed. But this is his first ever event playing Ad Nauseam Tendrils. And he took second place with it. I think that's pretty remarkable. He said that he hasn't even played Magic since the Deathrite Shaman banning, so to me, this is just like pretty awesome thing.
1: Yeah, we actually haven't talked about combo too much. I think Storm is actually a very, very powerful deck. I think uh, um, what I like most about it that is that it is extremely resilient, um, and in a lot of cases, almost just plays like a control deck. Um, I know, I know, other Storm aficionados would like to think of it like that. Uh, Wilson is giving me a funny look. and I, Oh, Wilson, you used to play Storm for a long time too, right, Mr. Grim Tutor?
2: I have played Storm in some points of my life. I did, I did play it at a certain SCG Invitational where I uh, had a pretty sweet match against Mr. Joseph Percival Lissette, which is, was memorable for me. That was a, that was a cool experience. But yeah, so Ant is, is very cool. I'm looking at this list here. I like the two paths and flames. I, uh, I appreciate the consistency of that. It's a card that you want to draw multiples of, unlike Tendrils of Agony, which you sometimes see in some pretty insane sideboard plans.
0: The grinding this, station lists.
2: Right, but see, can I go on a rant about that? Yeah. The grinding station works really well because of... Multiple past inflames, and flames because of drawing past inflames, like what I, what I think of in the, some of the early iterations of Grinding Station, I think it's sort of become like Mini Tendrils. Grinding Station is sort of what the way people think about it now. But really, what I like about that deck is the ability to go off without a tutor, be able to get value past inflames, be able to cantrip a ton out of your graveyard, and I think there's like some design space available to be able to even play like three past inflames or something before I would ever sleeve up a second Tendrils of Agony, but that's just me.
1: Madman. You know what deck I did not see a lot of, actually, now that we're talking about combo, uh, is is, is Sneak and Show. Did that deck perform well this weekend? I'm struggling Zan to Said find the list. took
0: 11th in the Classic with it, but I mm-hmm. didn't see a whole lot of it, to be honest. I think yeah. it was
1: kind of a loser on the weekend. Which is pretty interesting, if you think about it. I guess... Um, well, I don't know. It seems like uh, these Star City events, they always gravitate towards um, just like, you know, the the fair blue decks, especially the Tempo decks. And Tempo typically, like, you know, the, the Grixis Delvers and whatnot have used typically have a good time against Sneak and Show, especially. I know Bob Wong said that that was, God, I just, I keep bringing up Bob Wong. That's, ah, there's something wrong. You got to stop doing that. None of us <laughs> like Bob. Eh, um, but he keeps <laughs> mentioning that, like, Sneak and Show is the buy matchup for for Delver, And so maybe that, you know, amongst other things is why...
0: after we just said that, I'm looking at the Legacy Challenge results for the weekend, and I have a second point to this, but Mm -hmm. Sneak and Show actually won the challenge. And I've noticed that when there's large Legacy events, the online uh challenges i give i personally give a little less credit to, and i know that's not exactly fair because mm-hmm. i think that a lot of people in the u.s travel to the big legacy events meaning that the challenges end up being a little bit softer on those days i'm not t- trying to discredit anyone that did well i just think they happen to be a little bit softer so when you look at the challenge there's a ton of death and taxes placing very very well when i know for a fact that some of the people that i consider to be the best legacy players were nowhere to be found in the challenge the okay. best like the le- best legacy storm players i don't know if i said that correctly
1: okay let me let me just randomly also put some thought in here and uh i'm looking at the challenge from 2019 3-3 so that's like three four days ago whatever i can't math that is how math works Seven o death and taxes and the pilot is scabs aka thomas and Volton. you what guys know master. this guy do you guys know this guy this guy is absolutely ridiculous. I don't understand how he consistently top eights every single legacy challenge that he enters. And and let, let me put this in perspective. These are like 90 person tournaments roughly every week that are firing off. It's, it's like seven round tournaments. This guy is consistently doing well, and it's with death and taxes. And that makes me wonder, are we just all missing something here? Like, we're here with our brainstorms and, you know, our, like, dark rituals and Termini, and this guy is just, like, slinging a 2-1 for 2 on turn 2. Just, like, what are we doing wrong that this guy is doing right? Is is, is this deck secretly just, like, really good and we're all missing it? Wait, Weenie's been a very
0: powerful deck ever since 1994 on a rug. I think that's, like, when I was born.
2: Death and Taxes had zero copies on day two of the Star City Games Open, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Zero out of the 69 decks that made day two of the Star City Games Open. But I think that it is a deck that, because of how it is constructed, it will always be reasonable. It plays a decent number of uh, disruptive cards that work really well together, and Palace Jailer is absolutely absurd and probably the best thing to be added to that deck in in a while so yeah I mean I think you make a good point it's good but also like a very good player doing well with a deck that is not bad does not necessarily mean that the deck itself is amazing right now or anything I would just say that's par for the course of what's cool about Legacy you know Mm. so what do you think
0: about uh, other decks playing Palace Jailer Wilson like uh, Blue White Control decks for example Woo!
2: I think uh, I went out for a second, but were you asking me if miracles should play Palace Jailer because uh, just answer. blue
0: white control decks in
1: general? Yeah, it, oh. he, he wasn't. He wasn't asking. Do you you. Think actually, he was design saying design
0: space there for Palace Jailer. He
1: Brian actually said he was. He's already purchased his Palace Jailers to put into his blue white miracles deck for the next big event that he plays miracles at. I hey, I, I heard it. I heard you know it what?
2: I think the more creatures that miracles players are willing to try in their decks, the better. Mm-hmm. They will become as magic players, and the better they will do with the deck in the long run. Is it so,
1: specifically the, the the tapping of creatures?
2: Is it specifically what
1: the tapping of creatures to enter the red zone?
2: I mean, that's part of it. That's that, I think that's that's sort of part of uh, what comes along with playing a creature. But you know, my my general philosophy is that um, yeah, the combat step, the Power and toughness, just being present on the board will generally be good for the Miracles community.
1: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I know we've talked about a lot of decks, but there's one more deck that I want to talk about, and I don't know if we're you know just going too long or whatever. But Mr. Rudy Brix at 49th place with a very special Eric Landon hot hitter, the T E T, the epic thief. and the hallmark card of this uh, the hallmark card of this deck is Thief of Sanity, and for those who don't know, it's from the new set, right? I don't know I don't know what the set symbols are, but it's one blue and a black for a Specter creature that has flying. You and literally said
0: the set earlier.
1: What's up? You literally said the set earlier. Oh, I see. I've already forgotten. Um, but when Thief of Sanity deals combat damage. You look at the top uh, three cards of the player's library, and you take one of them. And for, long as, for as long as you know it remains exiled, you can cast it with using whatever mana, and so on and so forth. And so it's pretty interesting. I sat next to Rudy in round one, and I got to see the coolest play where he and you know, he he connected with the Thief of Sanity. Then he chump blocked a Merit Lodge, bounced it with Jace, and then his opponent went to make another one. And then suddenly Rudy's like. Let me hit you with this crop rotation that I took from you and wasteland you. So, I don't know, design space in the legacy format for a cool card like this could exist. So, I talked to Tim Abkinar, who
0: said he would never play that deck ever again. <laughs> uh, the problem with that deck is that it cannot beat a 3-3. You have, like, a couple of Fatal Push, creatures that don't block well, uh, Lilianas, like, the deck just isn't constructed to beat creature decks, so I think if you're going to a metagame where you expect a lot of combo and control, it's a reasonable choice. Uh, is it the best choice? I don't know. But I think if you're expecting Death and Taxes or Humans or Death Shadow or Delver, it's probably not a good choice, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, there's no way this deck is beating Death and Taxes. But hey, it does have four Baleful Strixen. That's something against creatures, right? It's
1: pretty good so. Baleful Strix is actually, like, it's the card in Legacy that has my favorite artwork. So why would you choose to play TET
0: over Grix's Control that we previously talked about might not be the best choice for the metagame right now? Like, what does TET have that would put it over the top? And don't say Thief of Insanity or Sanity or whatever, because that's not it.
2: Bryant. so I've seen TET posted in a lot of locations online and it looks very similar to another uh, deck image slash graphic that I think is a wonderful deck that I enjoy in the format and I've noticed that I've never I haven't seen you reacting to any of these images and groups that you're usually quite active in I sort of want to take this opportunity to see uh, publicly what your opinion is on the naming of the deck TET and the general branding around the deck
0: uh eric landon has received a cease and desist from my lawyers <laughs>
1: <laughs> for real though i i do think it's just thief of sanity and you know, i mean that's a cool card like what more do you want i'm already happy playing palace and miracles i'm gonna i'm gonna let these people play thief of sanity in whatever deck they want but i mean i guess being two color means that you have better mana uh there's this deck has wasteland wasteland's kind of cool in a format with you know 2020s um
2: it has two wastelands and it has two it has a bunch of him to Turocs and baleful strixes and i don't know
0: so something it's, i noticed on the weekend is that the depth decks in general did not do very well outside of dave long so there's three big events the open the challenge and then uh the classic and dave long is really the only person that did quite well with depths so do you guys think that depths is well positioned at the moment i know three weeks ago it was the flavor of the week it was everywhere in the challenges and legacy seems like it's been moving a little more quickly now that there's some less powerful cards in the format
1: yeah my honest opinion is that dave long is just a master like two three years ago that guy was tearing up the legacy scene like it was the year of the long um like he told me once like he was he like barely squeaked into day two of an event at 6-3 day two just clear coasted through it um yeah super 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 good player uh and yeah that's it
2: interesting i think the deck is pretty good i mean it was the third most represented deck in day two of this event my experience has been that it attacks the metagame from an angle that can be annoying to interact with and i still don't think the metagame has fully adjusted in the last you know, year and a half to two years of this deck coming into Legacy. So I think it's solid. It's a deck that I would promote, like I would, I would even consider playing it. Um, the other thing is, like, it's, it's not easy to play, but it's also not one of the more skill-intensive decks in terms of decisions. And I'm, I'm wondering if, like, the play skill of one person can really get them that far with this type of deck, you know, my, my thought is like the deck itself has to be at least solid in order for, uh, for it to do well.
1: What do we think is going to happen moving forward? If you had to pick a deck, Bryant Cook, Wilson Hunter, to attack the format to top eight, a 15-round event next week, what would you pick?
2: I would play the Epic Storm because it's a very fast combo deck, but it's also resilient. And... Wilson, you are a
0: beautiful, beautiful man. Uh, but a real answer would be, I think that Miracles is incredibly well positioned. It won the challenge. It put multiple people doing very well in the open. If I think it's just like well positioned. I already said that. It's well positioned, but I'm a huge fan of the deck. I think I'm going to give Wilson some credit here. I think if I was to play Miracles next week, I would be playing four Monastery Mentor and three Mission Briefing. Uh, I think where Wilson is wrong is that he doesn't like chase the mind sculptor. I'd be playing
2: some of those. Hey, I'm, I'm actually, so my current miracles deck, I play two. I think you sort of have to now. Um, like I would, I didn't used to play them with top, but I think it's okay. I do appreciate your sentiment with monastery mentor because I currently have the miracles deck sleeved up with four mentors multiple mission briefings, and three spell pierce, actually. So uh, I, I do like to play the deck a little bit differently than some of our... Would you say a blue-white storm? Exactly. So that actually is uh, a, a good term because there are, are turns and hands where you really do storm off with Mentor. And while you're not winning on that exact turn, you're getting far enough ahead to the point of where your, your opponent can't really get back in the game. But it's all about picking your spots. So I was talking to Jarvis about this, Jarvis Yu about this today, and my thought is, like, you never want to be in a tempo negative situation with your mentor, so you don't want to just jam it into open mana removal when you have a read on that. But other than that, you likely need to play your mentors more aggressively than you're comfortable with in a control deck. So Can I stop
0: and ask you a question? Yep. Can you define tempo for some of our listeners and also Unrock?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so Anurag, um, that tempo I'm here. in this scenario of what I'm talking about would be playing a three-mana card into a potential one-mana answer that is even maybe even open at instant speed on your turn. So uh, you lose uh, a significant amount of your mana advantage by making a play like that. And when that happens, there's a huge swing in the game because your opponent, while you're tapped out, is able to untap Turn the table on you, deploy some sort of threat, and uh, you're in a tight spot. So, as long as you don't get a tempo disadvantage, like I'm actually fine trading mentors for removal spells, particularly when you're playing four. I think that's a big, that's a significant benefit you have in those four mentor lists. And I'm not even uh, that interested in getting like one monk value out of my mentors when I'm playing the deck. So, I do like to play it as a storm off deck put my opponent in situations where if they don't answer it, they lose the game. And if they do answer it, we're back to parity, and I'm back to having a turn uh, where I get to, to make plays and I'm not behind. So that's my general philosophy on Mentor Miracles. I think it's quite solid right now. I agree with you.
1: Nice. Yo, I, I actually just realized SDG Syracuse wasn't the only event this weekend. And, in fact, on the other side of the continent, on my on my side of the country – Uh, Grand Prix L.A. was going on, and uh, Wilson, that's where you were this weekend, right?
2: I was. What was special
1: about this? Uh, I feel like this was the—was this the debut?
2: So I have a uh, Magic-related tech startup called Cardboard Live. We're making Twitch stream enhancements for the game Magic the Gathering, and Channel Fireball did indeed use Cardboard Live for Magic Fest L.A., But the cool thing about this is Star City Games, Syracuse Open, was also using Cardboard Live at the same time. So we decided to go to L.A. because it was their first time using it, and we helped train them on how to use it. Um, We have been to some of the other Star City events to help them use it, but they're running it like a well-oiled machine now, which is awesome. So, yeah, we're really pumped about what we're doing with Cardboard Live. Uh, Check it out if you haven't heard about it. But uh, we're also a sponsor of this podcast, I believe I'm going to have to whip out my credit card after we finish recording and probably pay for the SoundCloud hosting. Uh, I think that's something we're going to have to set up here shortly. But but yeah, that's Cardboard Live.
1: Anything you can spoil for the the listeners? What's the next big feature that we might see?
2: So we're working on uh, a variety of things. The big kahuna is image recognition for paper magic cards. So when you're watching a tabletop magic stream... You will be able to hover over cards, click on them, expand the image, see what they do, and then eventually be able to actually purchase those cards live in the stream, incentivizing content creators to produce awesome content.
1: Also, it's super useful, I guess, for newer players who might not know what all the cards do, especially if you're watching a format like Modern or Legacy with older cards. That's kind of cool. I like that. I like that a lot. This was a pretty exciting weekend. Even though I didn't do too well, I'm pretty happy watching and playing and just meeting everyone, as is always the case.
2: I just want to say, like, we're excited to do this podcast. This is our first stab at it. We're just sort of going off the cuff here. We're obviously talking about exciting legacy things that just happened. But hang with us. I think with podcasting, what generally happens is you get used to your co-hosts. You get used to the discussion cadence and how things go. And I think that we'll we're excited to continue doing this and hopefully bring awesome legacy content to you all. So please give us feedback on your thoughts. Uh, we appreciate all feedback, both positive and hopefully constructive criticism. And um, yeah, we just look forward to it.
1: I almost forgot. Guys, next week we have a special guest coming. We have Jerry Mee, who will be joining us on the podcast. So do look forward to that. Um, and I guess Wait, until that, then... Is that
2: actually happening? I didn't even know that.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we spoke with Jerry. He's like, I'll be there. I'm looking forward to that. I guess we'll wrap it up there, guys. Thank you for listening to us ramble. Um, Like Wilson said, you know, we look to see you guys next time. Yeah. Thanks for joining us.